Welcome to The Bittersweet Life, a show for expats, former expats, travelers, dreamers, those of you wanting to let go of a rope, so to speak, start again, try an adventure. If you're brand new to the show, I encourage you to go back to episode one and start at the beginning and come along with us for the entire journey. Glad you found us. Tell your friends. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we have two special guests, one of whom has been a listener to the podcast for a long time, Jessica Spiegel, freelance writer, who does a blog called Italy Explained. When we did the freelance episode, Tiffany, a few weeks ago, she wrote to me in, ex- in support of my being a freelancer, saying that she had been a freelancer for a number of years, and if I wanted some tips, she was happy to send me some emails to encourage me along the way. I told her if she ever is up in Seattle from Portland that we should sit down and actually talk. And that's what happened. <laughs> Isn't that, that's awesome. <laughs> this very week. And she happened to be at the house of another freelance writer named Pam Mandel, who's been a freelancer for almost 20 years. And she writes a blog called The Nerd's Eye View. Okay. So I sat cross-legged on the couch with both of them. And we talked about freelancing and the expat lifestyle and all kinds of things. But my first question to Jessica, of course, was Italy explained. That is a giant claim yes to make <laughs> when you're writing a blog so i asked her can you explain italy here is what her reply was one of the things that i very first wrote on the about page was i am not attempting to explain italy let's get that out of the way right now because <laughs> i don't think that's possible the travel writing that i have always excelled at with italy or any other place that i've written about is stuff that sort of makes something that would be logistically confusing for newcomers easier to deal with especially when there are potential problems which Italy has plenty of and also sort of fun to read so like I published an ebook at the beginning of this year my first ebook on the site and it's all about taking the train in Italy and like I remember when I started working on that I'd be like oh okay well then that's done oh no there's this offshoot over here that I need to write about and there's this other aspect of that that I should write about and and it is stupidly detailed like some of it I look back and I'm like I really I'm it's a bit of hand-holding going on here but I also my goal was sort of to prepare people for like I said any of the problems that might come up because then they can make their own decisions right because I don't want to take your trip for you I want you to be able to do that on your own and figure it out on your own because how empowering is that when you do that as a traveler right so that's what I'm trying to explain not Italy but just explain it enough that you can kind of navigate it on your own. Why did you start doing that? Explaining aspects of travel to help people have a better trip. The job that I had starting in 2006, 2007 was working for a travel website that was based in Portland. It was a lot of logistical stuff that I was getting assigned. And I'm a firstborn and a type A. And so instructions are and lists and things like that are kind of a big deal to me so it sort of it just came very easily it was like you know I would start writing about something and it was like I was just sitting down with a friend sort of explaining things over coffee it's just the detailed way that I would do that anyway about anything I also had 
a couple years experience of uh, teaching beginning Italian at the community college down in Portland. Again, it was that same level of, I'm going to give you a solid foundation and then I want you to go out and make your own mistakes, right? And, and know how to deal with it. That's what I love about that. And so there was a, there's an element of teaching going on too. Like I love getting questions from readers about how to create an itinerary or sh where should I go, this place or this place. Well, I'll give you the pros and cons of them, but I want you to make your own decisions. If you wanted to just hire a travel agent to do that for you, you would have done that. You wouldn't have written to me. I'm not your travel agent, right? I'm not your mom. I'm not going to do this for you. I'll do a lot of it for you, but this is just the foundational stuff, you know? Give me an example. What's one question you would get and tell me what your advice would be? Well, the funniest question that I ever got that that was actually when I was still working for that company and we had an office and I was answering the phone part of the time and the answer that we gave was off the phone because you can't say this to a customer. He had called and it was a trip to Italy that he was planning to take and you know, he's asking about the cost of this and the cost of that and I'm madly looking things up. And then at the very end of the call, he's like, Okay, well, um, does the train station in, I can't remember, I'm making up Florence, have luggage lockers? And I'm looking that up because you can. And I said, yes, it looks like they do. How much are they? And will there be one available when I get there? I take the phone away from my ear and I'm looking at it. And I put it back and I was like, I'm sorry, sir. I'm really like, those are not pieces of information that I am going to be able to. And I hang up the phone and I told my colleague and he looked at me and he said, would you like me to take the trip for you? And that's that, that became the joke, right? And which is, that's stuck in my head ever since. But those are the kind of questions. It's like, I, then I would go and I wrote an article about how to find out if a train station in Italy has luggage lockers or a luggage storage service using the Trenitalia website, right? So that's about as much as you're going to be able to do ahead of time. Great, do that and then be prepared to make decisions when you arrive, right? I love that you're being that into the minutiae of your planning. I mean, because God knows, I mean, I love the minutiae of planning. I love that and really you've got to let that go. You've got to get there and find out when you get there. It was just really cute. You've listened to the entire podcast from beginning till now. Were there moments when you found me and my floundering around absolutely excruciating to listen to? Not excruciating. I think what was funny about it, so the times that I have lived in another country, like I did a study abroad in, in college in England, where, hello, it's the same language. And then when I would go to Italy, it would be for a couple months at a time. And at that point, I knew the basics of the language, but that only gets you so far. And so there were so many times where like, again, I'm listening to it and I'm finding myself nodding in like in memory of some instance where something similar happened or I felt a certain way that you were explaining, you know, not, no, not excruciating, just moments where I was just like, yup, I know how that feels. Yup, that sounds familiar. Yeah, totally. Because I'm not really a planner. I don't know if you got that. <laughs> I mean, I am in my professional life, but when it comes to planning trips, I will put off planning it forever in the hopes that somebody else will plan it for me. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think everyone should plan as much as I like to plan trips. I mean, there are plenty of people who don't and I don't plan at all. And you, you have survived. You're sitting right next to me. So you yeah. have not died in the process. You know, I, I, there's so many different kinds of travelers and, and ways to travel. My mother is an insanely adventurous traveler and she makes me cringe sometimes with the stuff that she wants to do or does. 
and yet then there's that part of me where I'm like, okay, yes, but if everybody wanted to travel exactly the same way I do to the exact same places that I want to go, those places would be intolerable. Why haven't you made the leap from being a person who writes with advice and how to do these minute things to being the person who's planning the trip for them? I actually have a friend who does that and she wanted to hire me and I said, yeah, see, there's a level of hand-holding that makes me annoyed. I am not a parent. I never wanted to be a parent. And so there's this element of, no, I don't want to take care of your little annoying details of things. I am totally willing to help people with a ridiculous level of minutia of information on the foundational level, but then I want them to take responsibility for it so that I honestly think, I mean, the, the, the good part of it is I think when you, when you do that as a traveler, you own your trip, you get more out of it. If you are making decisions instead of letting somebody else do all of the planning. Are you able to make a living by giving that advice? My site, not yet. It's new, but yeah, when I was a staff writer, that was my job. That was full time as a freelancer. Yeah, I pay my bills, which I say that in a weird way because it still kind of amazes me. Between writing and social media for the past three years, yes, I am paying my bills. Let's talk about why both of you decided to go freelance. Let's go to you because we haven't talked to you for a while. <laughs> why did you become a freelance writer rather than a staff writer with somebody else? I'm really bad at having a job. I really hate to go to an office every day. I really can't stand it. I really like the work I do, but I hate to have to go to an office. I don't like to have to work on somebody else's schedule. I don't like outdoor pants. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't like outdoor pants. Um, Although you're wearing a pair of outdoor pants know, right now. I put on outdoor pants because I was like, oh, these are indoor pants that somebody else is allowed to see. <laughs> I don't like office politics. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I really don't like those things. They drive me crazy. I have had in the last I think 15 years I've had two staff jobs and I quit both of them one of them I quit because I didn't have enough to do and I couldn't believe they expected me to go to work every day and that they wouldn't give me that time back to myself and the other one I quit because I hated going inside every day I need to see the sky that is why I stay freelance and the financial insecurity of it for me is less traumatic than not being able to see the sky when I go to work. The last job I quit that I went to, so the economy was very bad and I had taken a classic nine to five and I would go to work and I would go in through a hallway and into an interior space and into a brown paneled cubicle and I could not see the sky and I was, it was really making me sick. Not being able to see the passage of time, not being able to see outside, not being able to like know that there was anything else going on in the world literally was making me crazy so I mean you're sitting here in this room and it's got big windows in it and I can see the sky and when I sit at my desk I can see the birds in my backyard and I can see the day pass and I can see time change I hated that suspended feeling you get of being in an office and I've never been in a job long enough to stack up the seniority to get the corner <laughs> office right because I keep quitting because I need to see outside <laughs> but how do you structure your day one of the biggest things I found just being a new freelancer is not working all the time like taking the time to walk out the door and be in the in the air and not just notice when the mailman comes and you know I have those sort of rhythms where I just see the same people come and go all day long but I'm not actually out there with them you know <laughs> yeah. I somehow can't bring myself to be to just give myself a break like you would if you were going to go 
out to lunch with some of your work colleagues. Right. What do you do? Do you have a pattern that you're following or? It sort of depends on what I'm working on. So my projects change all the time, right? If I'm working on a long-term, large project, it's actually harder for me. I fall into that same trap. So if I've got a contract that's three months and I'm working on the same thing for three months, I will say yes to meetings because they'll get me out of the house, right? But for the last almost two years now, what I'm doing is I'm juggling a lot of really small projects. And so my day doesn't actually have any structure. The structure has to be self-imposed and I have to make myself sit at my desk every morning and say like, okay, here's my list of projects. Right now I have nine different clients for small projects and I actually find that it's really hard to juggle it, but I actually do better about like getting up and going to do things because I'm not singularly focused on completing one monumental task. You get sick of your house? Never, actually. <laughs> I don't. Um, and uh, my husband's not here right now, but sometimes he'll be like, you should go out. Like, we should go somewhere, do something. Because no, I'm really happy here. Like, I'm in a great space. So I don't actually get sick of it. Hardly ever. I could stay home and just go out when I'm completely out of food. <laughs> <laughs> right? I like living here. It's really nice, you know? All right, Jessica, how about you? I'm getting up all the time. Like, I go for a walk almost every morning not to see or talk to people, but I get out of my house. I actually have a little timer thingy on my computer that tells me to get up from your desk every half hour. That's smart. This was instruction from my physical therapist because my back is such a problem. He's like wrenching my leg around because I had this massive problem with my knee and it turned out to be something from my back. And I said, oh, well, as you mention it, I, yeah, I have lower back problems because I sit all day. And he said, yeah, that is terrible. Don't do that. I get so focused if I'm really working on something, even if it's a small project, where the need to eat or go to the bathroom will irritate me because it's, no, I'm focused on this thing and now I don't want to have to go get food or whatever. So the getting up every half an hour, it's like this thing beeps at me. It's a really annoying noise on my computer and I get up and I walk around my apartment and I go sit down again. It's interesting because that's exactly what I do. I just eat scoops of peanut butter and say it's fine. <laughs> Let's talk about loneliness. Do you have any as a freelancer? No, actually, I don't. You're made for this. I, it, I am wired to do this. Yeah, it's true. I'm not, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, I'm not lonely working alone. Um, I enjoy other people's company, but for my work, I love being able to, like, lock down and do my stuff unbothered by the world. When I first started working from home, my mother was really concerned. Social media, not a thing in her world. So trying to explain to her that, I am social all day long because of Twitter and Facebook and Pam and I Skype on a regular basis. There's this element of sort of virtual water cooler. I told her that and in her head, it's like it's not the same thing as like sitting down and talking to people. But I agree with Pam, like I get so much more done if I don't have somebody stopping by my cube every five minutes, you know, on their way to a smoke break, interrupting me. If I choose to be social, open up Twitter or Facebook or whatever, it's because I am at a breaking, a, a break point in my day. Breaking point. <laughs> point. <laughs> it's a bit of a Freudian slip there. <laughs> but it's, you know, there's this moment of like, well, okay, I'm, I'm at a point where I can take a break. If you're not, nothing's interrupting me. I'm at a point where I can take that break. I thought I was going to hate working from home. I really did. Turns out I love it. I, I contemplated two or three different full-time jobs when I was thinking, Insurance would be nice. 
pre-Obamacare. I'm looking at the job description and there's nothing about it that requires being in an office. No, but how come I can't do this from home? Explain to me again. They're like, well, we really like to have an office. No, no, no. Explain to me why I can't do this from home. Like there's nothing. So yeah, I just couldn't do it. For me, there's something about the nature of the work I do also, which is very insular, right? I'm a writer and this is work I do alone. Okay, so you both have been expats, sort of. Mm-hmm. I'm saying sort of to you, Jessica, yeah. since you've never done it long term. Yeah. But let's talk about that a little bit. First, let's start with you since I just called you out. Why, <laughs> why Italy? Why do you write about Italy in specific? And why have you never lived there for a longer period of time? I first went to England and was an Anglophile instantly. And then the next year I went to France and I was a Francophile instantly. And like, you know, it was just, I came home and like, it was all things Britain, all things France. And then I went to Italy and was an Italophile. And I figured this was just going to keep happening. But then I went to Germany and uh, no, Italy, Italy stuck. And I went someplace else and nope, still Italy. So then it was like, it was sort of after my first trip um, in 2001. It was like ever since then. Did it ruin England and France for you? No, I still love those places. And there was a long time when... People would ask what I love about Italy, and I don't think I totally knew because it seemed so cliche, and I hated that it seemed cliche. Like, the first place we flew into and the first place I saw was Venice. It's still one of my favorite places on the planet, and how cliche is that, right? But I can't help it. It's amazing. The food is wonderful, and the views are pretty, but what I finally came to is it's the chaos and being so super type A and hyper, I want everything to be the way it's supposed to be. And Italy just is not. It forced me to have a plan B, a plan C, a plan F, and to just say to hell with the plan and think on your feet, which I've never been good at. So I feel like to an extent, Italy teaches me that kind of thing that I'm just not good at on my own. When I had the the other job and was writing about Italy all the time I had gone through all the paperwork to actually move to Italy and then life happens you know I lost a job and then I went through a divorce and I'm like you know what no I think I'm just gonna be in America I'm gonna be in Portland I like Portland there's a part of me that is kind of bummed about that that I will not do the I don't think that I'll do the actually moving there full-time but it's not as if I hate Portland either I love Portland so I was never in a position where I was trying to get away from a place that I didn't like as well. And continuing to go to Italy, it still teaches me things every time I'm there. (laughs) Is it a relief when you go home, back to Portland from the chaos of Italy? I can't even tell you the number of times I would cry on the way to the airport, distraught that I was leaving, that I couldn't stay. And again, my family's in Oregon. I love Portland. It's not that I was sad about coming home. It was just so sad about leaving. And then, yes, once I get home, I'm back to the food carts that I love and what I love about Portland. One of the things you said before we even started taping was that it wasn't that you got too old to be an expat or to live out of a backpack, that perhaps you never were that person. Pam and I know like a ton of people who are just nomadic. They may settle for a little while in a place to get some work done or something like that, but they just don't have a home base. Most of the people that I can think of who do that are significantly younger than I am. And yet at the same time, I don't think I would have done that in my 20s. There's just, I like stuff. I like having a place that is mine where, you know, not just boxes in my mother's basement kind of a thing. So I don't think I ever could have done that. In terms of being an expat, yeah, if life circumstances had not taken the weird turn that they did, yes, I could have done that, could still do that at any time. 
at my advanced age. Forty-three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, Pam. What about you? What was your expat experience? Which part of it? What uh, the best part? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know which part do you want to tell me about. What was my expat? So I was never a full-time expat because I would get super depressed and I had to come back to the United States. Um, I found it really hard. I didn't like it. It was a beautiful place to visit, but I found making a home there very, very hard. I really missed my friends. Where were you? I was in a very small town in central Austria, where my husband is from. Why do you think you got lonely? Why wasn't it going to work for you? Uh, I, I mean, I was lonely because I literally had no friends there. So I learned the language, and actually my German was pretty passable by the time I left. But I had so little in common with the people that I was surrounded by. So the region was very traditional catholic and evangelical i'm a west coast jewish girl and so it was really it was really hard for me to find a way in i mean it's not that people weren't nice it was just that we had no common bond there was nothing to tie me to that place there was no society around me that i could participate in as myself i was always like a second class like i was always my husband's wife and i'm a three-dimensional human being Mm -hmm. and i didn't have that while i was there Mm -hmm. So when you were coming back to Seattle, was your husband staying there? So we commuted for a decade. And what we used to do was I would go there for three months and come back. And I'd be here in Seattle by myself for three months. And then he would come here for three months and go back. Right? So we did this crazy alternating thing because we couldn't agree on where to live. Because he didn't really want to pull up stakes and move to the U.S., And I was like, no, I am not staying in your town. But we knew we wanted to stay together. So it took us a really long time. Part of it's because I'm freelance, right? So I had the ability to travel. He was not freelance. And so he didn't have it. But he was European. So he had like metric crap loads of vacation. So, right? Um, You know, and a a bazillion holidays when it came to... And Austria's got the Catholic holiday calendar. So a lot of vacation time. And he had been in his his job for 20 years when we met. So he had acquired vacation time. The Austrians start with five weeks base, which as Americans is like, that's insane. So, you know, so we did this because we could for a really long time. Um, So it was a lot of back and forth before we ended up settling here in Seattle. Yeah, so you won in the end. How did that happen? (laughs) I can't wait for Julius to listen to this. I probably shouldn't talk about that. (laughs) He, it's funny because Julius now seems so perfectly at home here. He seems like so Pacific Northwest to me. How do you think that being an expat changed your life experience from what you were before that happened to what you are now? That's a, that's a huge question. Um, uh, I've got time. Right, <laughs> right. Wow. Um, Not that much time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I never really gave a lot of thought about my identity as an American before I was an expat. I never thought about it at all. What qualities do I have that define me as an American? And now I could probably have a conversation about that in a way I could never have done before I lived as an expat. I have a very deep respect and sympathy for all immigrants, having lived my life as one. I still have residency in Austria, right? So I hold the equivalency of a green card there. 
and I had to renew my residency recently. So we had to go to the immigration office and have a meeting with the immigration officer, and there was all this paperwork and stuff. It's a lot of legal German. And as we were going through this, I thought, well, what would this be like if I didn't speak the language? How would I navigate this system? And I asked Julius, my husband, do they provide translators? And he said, no, you have to bring your own. How do you find one? Do they have a service that helps you match with the translator? No, you have to like find them yourself. During my long stay when I was working there, I did Deutsch für Auslanders. I went to German lessons every day. And I was in class with people who had studied engineering and nursing and medicine. And they were working in the factory because the Austrian society would not recognize their licenses. And so my sense of what it means to be an immigrant in a foreign country has changed exponentially, right? And I have nothing but sympathy and respect for those people. And when I hear that somebody's an illegal immigrant, I'm like, well, why did they do that? What are they doing? It has hugely complicated the way I think about those issues. I know it's not that simple. And my story was very simple, right? Like I met a man. <laughs> That's all there was to it, right? <laughs> but I was in class with war refugees and mail order brides. And I had to really check my assumptions about who these people were and how they ended up there. And I asked some of the girls in my class once, like, why did you do this? And they were like, to get a better life. Like, what are you kidding? Like, it was a stupid question for me to ask them why they wanted to be a mail order bride. So it totally exploded my worldview. Well, I'm going back to something that you said earlier, that it helped you define what makes you an American. What is that? Americans are, my sense is that they are less bound by externally imposed rules than other people I have interacted with in the world. Americans are still willing to believe that they can define their own path. Even if that is not entirely true, we buy into that fiction. It doesn't matter that I don't have a degree in something. It doesn't matter that I don't come from money. It doesn't matter that I'm an immigrant. We believe that we can define our own fate. I don't think that it's true that we can. I, I want to be clear that what I'm saying is that there's whether or not those things are actually true and whether they're what we believe are two different things, but I think we share an optimism about our individual futures that I have not experienced in other cultures in the world. So as an American, I was also given some really like exceptionalism kind of treatment while I lived there. And I interviewed for a job once in an engineering team. They did automotive testing, right? And I do technical documentation and they needed somebody to write their documentation in English. I know nothing about automotive testing. And for the record, I have a degree in fine arts, but I had 10 years in working in software documentation. And so they agreed to interview me and they offered me the job. They offered me the job because I am an American who has 10 years in software. Now, had I not been an American, I would not have got the interview and they would not have offered me the job. You know, I was with these qualified engineers, like the Serbian in my German class was an engineer. He never would have even got the interview. Do you think that Americans in general are act entitled when they're traveling around the world from what you've observed? No, not, not more than anyone else. Doing a lot of traveling has taught me that the Germans can be just as bad. The Dutch can be just as bad. The Chinese can be just as bad. The British can be just as bad. No. I don't think Americans are any worse than any other bad travelers. Bad travelers are bad travelers, and assuming that they're American by default is a disservice to 
bad German travelers. And let's also be fair, like seeing the bad traveler and assuming that they are representative of their nationality or of travelers from that place, also very bad assumption to make. I mean, there are people who are like, they'll meet some group and like, oh, they were the worst people. Oh, all of this people are terrible. No, 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 no. (laughs) So many times, no. Those assumptions just get you into trouble every time. That's Jessica Spiegel and Pam Mandel. Jessica writes Italy Explained, the blog. You can find a link at our website. Pam also has the Nerd's Eye View blog, which you can find at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Jessica also hosts a podcast called Eye on Italy, along with her friend Sarah Rosso. So check that out as well. Ah, I've totally heard of both of them. Now that you say Eye on Italy and Sarah Rosso, I've, I definitely follow them both on Twitter. Yes, and Sarah lives in Italy, so there you go. Maybe you'll talk to her someday. The other half. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week, though, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Talk to you soon. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, send us an email to bittersweetlife at mail.com. Bittersweetlife at mail.com. You'll reach people all over the world. Not just Europe, not just Asia, not just the United States. All over. 